Welcome to the Domestic Supply Chain Summit. I'm Danny Gomez, the Managing Director of Financial Emerging Markets. We're um, here today joined by John Bradford, partner at Dynamo Ventures, and we're going to be talking with him about how sustainability will impact the future of supply chains. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. Uh, before we jump in, do you mind just giving a brief background of yourself and how you came to Dynamo and then maybe specifically how um, at Dynamo you are working to really focus on supply chain and even um, more specifically sustainability? Yeah, so um, behind the hoodie is a boring accountant, and we'll probably touch on that later on in terms of thinking about carbon accounting amongst many other topics. Um, I'm a partner at Dynamo Ventures, which is a supply chain and mobility uh, early stage investor based in Chattanooga and Tennessee. Coincidentally, I'm not there. I'm in Dublin, but day to day, I normally uh, work from London. So I kind of hold up the international part of their investment strategy, which is principally um, around the, the European sector itself. So um, we write early stage checks of typically a million, a million and a half dollars. So, you know, I think one thing as we kick off here, um, this segment's on sustainability. So for me, when I look at the landscape, there's a lot going on, right? There's EV, there's autonomous, there's, um, as you look at opportunities, it's hard to say, okay, this is a pure place sustainability um, company, right? Because a lot of what's happening and what we talk about um, internally and on our show is the focus is on efficiency, right? Efficiency means sustainability, means emission reductions. And so um, when you look at the different investments in your portfolio and just kind of what's happening in the landscape, how do you, what is a characteristic of a company for you that checks that sustainability box? It's, a, it's an interesting question because clearly sustainability has really only started to filter through in day-to-day -day language in a meaningful way, I think, actually since the start of the pandemic over the last 18 months. And one of the things that we look at is we start looking at retrospectively all of the investments we've made and try to actually think about them in the context of what you described in, in terms of sustainability. Some of them, uh, in one particular instance, is a battery business. So it, it was very squarely in it. But as you rightly point out, the, the ratio of companies that are directly about sustainability versus those are which are about efficiencies within the supply chain um, are a, a massive difference. I would probably say it's like 5% versus 95%. However, one of the challenges that we have as a fund is we have, essentially, we, we, when, when we went into these investments, we didn't think of them as this is good for sustainability. Eh? Because it was actually, how do we create a much more efficient supply chain? The, the, the language and the words are very similar, but there are other layers on top of pure efficiency, as you described, whether it's a move towards EV. There, there are more meaningful ways of actually reducing or potentially even eliminating carbon footprint from some of those supply chains. Uh, but I, I'd also say what's really interesting over the last 18 months is the language that we're starting to hear coming back from our investors, which are LPs in our fund, is us to really start thinking in a much more meaningful way around this topic. And as we move towards our third fund over the next 12 months, this is something that we're going to have to, this is, this is not optional. This is, this, is, this is going to be a core part of how we think about 
our investment thesis going forwards. So is it fair to say that as you create this new fund, and probably as funds look to grow, and we hear this in the news a lot, that you know ESG is a focus, that historically, maybe the, the investments didn't have to have this sustainability checkbox. Um, but it sounds like that will be a focus in that as you bring in these new new companies that you'll be looking for that specifically. Um, I mean, that's interesting in general. I mean, I don't know if you have any stats in my in my mind. You know, the viewers will hear them and then maybe they'll forget them. But it'd be interesting to know just maybe anecdotally from an investment perspective, how sustainability, which I think um, what you're saying or what I'm hearing is sustainability and efficiency have become intertwined. Right. Um, and that's a good thing. And it's also confusing because what we're doing in this moment is addressing inefficiencies in supply chain because we've seen that our supply chain is broken. At the same time, you have a strong push for reducing carbon emissions. The two go hand in hand. And so there can be, you can induce, in, in, introduce some confusion. Um, but just generally speaking, you know, as we think about where firms are putting their money, it's awesome to hear that you guys have that focus. Anecdotally, how do you feel like your peers are approaching this in the same way? It feels like from my side of the fence that surely a lot of focus has been put on companies, not only on, a, you know, so from a sustainability perspective, but the governance perspective, social as well. So just curious to hear your thoughts on how you feel like that, that shift has happened. I think, I think there's, there's, there's two parts to that. I think it will start to become from, from our LP perspective, a, um, a core dynamic that we need to be uh, thoughtful about uh, and putting measures in place to to address some of those things. There is another layer on top of that, which is even more interesting, is as a broader theme, we're starting to see, particularly around capital markets, is uh, there are parts of the ecosystem which actually are actively trying to find ESG, sustainable capability, to put their money to work. And as a result of that, actually the overall rate of interest and rate of return that's expected of those is actually much lower in the market. So we've actually, I I recently looked at a startup which was looking at could they provide cheaper work and capital because they were demonstrating through um, the supply chain that they were delivering a much more sustainable and closer to carbon neutral transportation capability so there it's, it's interesting that they're now starting to the economics of capital markets are starting to reward uh through cheaper capital uh the need into supply chain it's happening in other markets but we definitely are seeing it as through trade finance uh, amongst other places because of clearly the, the footprint that uh, transportation potentially has both locally uh, in, in the U.S. market internationally and also uh, on shipping lanes and things like that as well. Picking, kind of feeding off of your last comment about just the differences or as things move throughout the globe, um, you know, we often talk here, uh, at least the colleagues at FreightWaves, about when we're thinking about bringing solutions to the space and the conversations we have, we feel like we are early. Um, in early innings, talking to people who are in early innings about solving a problem that is global. Um, that's not true so much in Europe, um, that it seems like they're in a few innings ahead of us. Um, having, uh, having or being closer to that, one, 
what do you what do you see there and how do you see that coming across into the US? And it is interesting um also that this feel this feels like a global problem. Like, right, you have national emergencies that bring a nation together. You have a global problem. You would think that this would bring a globe together and hopefully it does. I'm just curious to see what you see coming over to the US that's already happening um, and being proven out in Europe. And then how do we stitch that across the globe globally to really have these, you know, systemic impacts? It's, it's a really good question. And and in some respects, a lot of the activity uh, in Europe, I would argue, is part cultural. So as is probably recognized, Europe is probably slightly more left of center than, say, the U.S. market. Um, and so we, we think of things much more holistically. It's probably a better way of doing it rather than being purely driven by capital markets, um, part one. But part two, there is definitely regulation starting to be applied in Europe, which is actually requiring in Germany, if you're of a certain shape and size, you are going to go drive, you're being driven down a carbon um, footprint uh, model. Um, at COP26 recently, the um, the UK announced that the London Stock Exchange was going to put in place um, a, a requirement for carbon accounting, um, which is really interesting because at a at a lower level, it's it's quite interesting per company, but a lot of this was being driven into the financial markets themselves, which is with banks and insurance companies. And coming back to my earlier point, which is they potentially will now be negatively impacted on their reporting if they're, for example, financing uh, projects which have a carbon footprint. And so does that mean with those particular institutions that they'll actually stop dropping clients, which will potentially negatively impact their the quality of their perceived carbon footprint because they'll not be thinking about just scope one, scope two, but also scope three, essentially what are they doing with their capital and the impact that that capital has in those organizations themselves. So I think to your point, and it's really well made, and I think we talked about it on an internal podcast of ours, is we we see the shift much more aggressively in Europe than we have in the US. And it's not to say that it's, it's a binary one and zero, because there are clearly organizations in the US where this matters. But I think at a much more high level, there are more there's much more chatter and also coming back to those those are potentially global businesses and the supply chain doesn't stop at a border it doesn't stop in europe it has its impact across global streams and so therefore those things will have a an effect across the borders potentially into the us and also potentially into southeast asia that's a good point you know as we you know domestic supply chain is the, is the title of this um, this event and it's hard to be just domestic, right? <laughs> it's not like you can operate a supply chain. I'm sure there's a few businesses here in the States locally, but there's not many who are just operating inside our four walls. Um, and so there's a big reliance across the whole globe. Um, as we think about, as you know, people who are listening to this and it's going to be a, a mix of carriers, shippers, 3PLs um, that are tuning in, you know, what is, what is the message to to the audience as it relates to what they can expect in the near term from disruptive technologies that impact efficiency and on you know in, naturally will create emissions reductions? Yeah, I I think I think it probably starts in a slightly different place. 
I think it will start particularly around the measurement piece, which is you are what you measure and your behavior will change accordingly. So I think the pressure will initially come from the need to start to wrap one's arms around what is our footprint, where is our impact, where is the great, where do we apply our best dollar amount to have the, the most impact on our, our footprint. So I, what I'm seeing practically going back to my statement about being a boring accountant is in the same way that we have seen clearly over the last 300 years, financial accounting uh, to the point where you have something like SAP, which is the, the mammoth in the room. I will see, I, I, I predict and I have seen versions of this, which is in the same way you have a financial ledger, you're going to suddenly have in parallel to that a carbon ledger and on almost a line-by-line basis, capturing that information. And in that capturing of that information, it will better inform the decision makers in those organizations to better understand where is where where can they move the needle. And so it's only when you start to apply the technology on that knowledge base that it suddenly becomes uh, uh, material. The other thing I'd probably say is, in the same way that one runs a financial budget and you allocate budgets to different departments, you will also have both line by line, but budget, budgetary carbon budgets per department. And the measurement will also then start to shine a light on any given part of the department, whether that's the packaging piece, whether that's the transportation piece, even within transportation, where, where is this carbon coming from? Is it within... Uh, surface transportation is it in international and and that will better inform the people within the organizations to think about what they do and for it to be meaningful versus dare i suggest pardon my french showboating which is we've gone out and we've now got a few electric vans isn't this cool but the reality is is that important and does that make a difference and is it part of a strategic decision about how one genuinely starts to move the needle across those different areas within one's carbon budget? I'm relieved that you gave that answer because all the different technologies, all the different um, improvements and efficiencies, it's a lot to cover in a day, much less 20 minutes or four minutes that we have left. Um, so focusing in on the measure piece, because Tyler and I, who's um, the director of carbon intelligence here at FreightWaves, talk about this a lot. Um, and really encourage firms to get after the measure. Um, right behind the measure is share, share your information, which I think is a cultural thing for the industry that's going to be hard for them to, to get used to, which is, sure, yeah, you, you, you're measuring your stuff, but there is a whole network that's reliant on you that needs to understand what's happening with you in your scope one so they can understand what's happening in their scope three. Um, and so what do you think in terms of, um, of enabling technologies? Is there anything out there now? Is there, um, do you have any thoughts on how the industry should be looking to, to solve the, the share problem? Or, or maybe just models from other industries or other applications that we can look at? Yeah, it's, it, it is genuinely a real problem. And dare I suggest the people who are going to make most money out of this are the boring accounts, the big four. And they're going to go from being sued around financial uh, accounting practices to moving into carbon budgets, which are probably going to be less confrontational or uh, uh, there'll be less of an issue for them. Uh, 
But to your point, the layers I kind of think about it are the lowest level is the raw data. And and the things that you're doing is really, really important. To your point, there is value in the data, but there's equal value in the normalization of that data and making sure that it both as a shared component is important, but that the data is comparable to each other. And and having an ability to pull that information and normalize it is really, really important. The layer on top of that, I personally believe, is almost like a, an algorithmic set of uh, ways to take that data and to be able to ascertain what a footprint might be from it. And almost like saying, well, I have an algorithm for surface transportation, and this is the dynamics I use and leads to this. And so what I hope is you end up with a market which is both common and open sharing of algorithmic information, but almost competition to see who can create the best algorithms that pull on the raw data to calculate the right carbon footprint. And almost in a GitHub, uh, which is pretty technical, but essentially the idea of open sharing of code or the open sharing of algorithms and that's what then subsequently feeds into these carbon ledgers. And throughout that platform, there's going to be a push and pull between where the data comes from, but the need to also be sharing it and to kind of level up that everybody else is using the same information and coming to similar results. That's super enlightening. I, I, honestly, I came into this thinking that we were going to talk about um, sustainability and technologies and you know EV and drones. Um, but it's, uh, like I said, it's a relief to be talking about really the structural things that are common across all the businesses, regardless of what technologies at the end of the day you choose to implement. This is foundational. Yeah. And the foundation, I think, yeah. is important for us to, to get right. Yeah. You need to know where you where your base camp is. You know where you want to get to. And there are different ways going up that hill or that mountain. And different organizations will take different views. But you've got to know what it is and you've got to be able to measure it on the way through. Um, and it's only through the combination of those different elements will you make good, informed decisions that are both good for the environment. But also, I think going back to your initial statement, a lot of this is what is it's double-edged. Sustainability and efficiency uh, are actually hand-in-hand hand with each other and can actually have a real commercial value and, and be valuable on the bottom line basis. John, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming here today. Um, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect? Very simple. It's John, J-O-N, at dynamo.vc. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you.